0: Tonight we come to the third of a four-part series on Messages to the Conscience. And tonight I want us to focus on three words. There are three words that I would like to have ringing in all of our ears as we leave. And those three words are, I am responsible. I am responsible. So I would like you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel, the Old Testament book of Ezekiel chapter 18. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 20 to begin tonight. I'll give you just a minute to find Ezekiel, if you haven't done that already, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. And as I work through this, I want you to notice how every person is responsible for their own life and their own actions not for their fathers not for their children's in the sense that each of our actions will be judged individually by the lord when if you have an opportunity to read through the bible this is a chapter that often just stands out for uh, a subject that I don't think we address enough. And this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to me, came to Ezekiel. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend at interest or take any profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes and keeps my rules by acting faithfully, he is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord God. If he, this man, fathers a son who is violent, a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though he himself did none of these things, who even eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abominations, lends at interest and takes profit, shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. Now, suppose this man, father's a son, who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no Pledge, commits no robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment. Withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules and walks in my statutes. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Yet you say, Why should not the Son suffer for the iniquity of the Father? When the Son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. The Son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the Father, nor the Father for the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Verse 20 is the summation of what the prophet Ezekiel is saying. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself himself. Now, with that in mind, our first point tonight is the victim mentality. We live in a society that is dominated by the victim mentality. Someone else is always to blame. We blame the school system, we blame the government, we blame our employer, we blame our parents, we blame our circumstances, and we even blame God. Everybody seems to be to blame, except me. Individual responsibility and individual accountability seem to be dying concepts. Of course, blaming others is nothing new. Blaming others goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But what is even more disturbing is that the victim mentality has spilled over into the church and I think it's spilled over into the church in a significant way. There are Christians right now as we meet together. There are Christians who have stopped going to church or they've become embittered toward the church because somebody did something they didn't like. They're blaming a pastor. They're blaming a youth pastor. They're blaming a congregation. They're blaming an individual within a congregation. I've been on staff here at this church since 1990, and it is amazing how many times I have talked to people Who have told me they're no longer going to church because of what a pastor did because of what a youth pastor did because of what a church did because of what someone in that church did to them now i want you to understand something very clearly tonight i am not in any way excusing wrong actions by a church or by church leadership i am not excusing that sometimes people are wounded and deeply wounded by someone in the church. It may not be right, but my point tonight is this, it's never an excuse. God still expects me to continue on in my personal relationship with him and my involvement in the body of Christ. Maybe I will end up at a different church or a different place, but I still have an individual responsibility to God and I have a biblical responsibility to be involved in a New Testament local church. And I believe the Christian church needs to regain and recommit itself to the biblical principle of individual responsibility. Pastor Mark Dever at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., has called this age that we live in the age of non-commitment. He's never seen non-commitment as prevalent as it is today. Nobody wants to commit to anything. They don't want to commit to the church. They don't want to commit to any kind of long-term responsibility. And I would also say that we are living in the age of non-responsibility. We would rather blame someone else than take responsibility for ourselves. Some of you may have heard this before, but the great state, statesman Daniel Webster once was asked, what is the greatest question, or excuse me, what is the greatest thought you have ever had? What is the greatest thought you have ever had and daniel webster said this my accountability to god and if we understand this correctly that is an awe-inspiring responsibility that every single person in this room me and every one of you is going to be individually or is and will continue to be individually accountable to god god has created me in such a way that I am a responsible, moral agent, and he will hold me accountable. You can count on it. Every single one of you is going to be held accountable by God for your thoughts, for your motives, for your attitudes, and for your actions. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, it says this, So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So then each of us, every single one of us, will give an account of himself to God. So our second point tonight is individual responsibility. I want to come at this, or it's individual responsibility and my actions. My actions. And I want to look at our actions from a number of different vantage points. The first one is the most important and probably the one that we all understand the best and that is in the area of salvation. Each person must make a decision to trust Christ or to reject Christ. Each person, every single person who has ever lived, has a responsibility either to respond to God or to reject God. In the Old Testament, looking forward to the cross, in the New Testament looking, or the New Testament era, New Testament covenant, looking back to the cross. But all of us will be held individually responsible for our decision there will be no acceptable excuses at the great white throne judgment the great white throne judgment is the great judgment at the end of time where all of the unsaved dead from every era of all existence are going to come together and they will stand before jesus christ the final judge of all things Next Sunday night, next Sunday night, we are going to look again at the great white throne judgment. We're going to look at the book and the books. That will be our fourth message to the conscience. And I just want to share with you tonight in this particular vein, this particular context, that no one will be able to stand before Jesus Christ and make an excuse. At the great white throne judgment, every unsaved person of every time period will be without excuse Christ will look right through their hearts right through them and he will know exactly what they were thinking what their motives were what their attitudes were no one can ever say to Christ no one can ever say to Christ I had an, I had a bad experience with Pastor Jones And so I decided that I wasn't going to have anything to do with the gospel and anything to do with the church. No one will be able to say that. Jesus isn't going to say, you know what? You're right. That Pastor Pastor Jones, he was a character. I can understand why you didn't come to me. No, no one is going to have any excuse when they stand before Christ. You know well tonight. People try to say the church is full of hypocrites. The church is too judgmental. The church has too many do's and don'ts. The church is too narrow-minded. But the fact is that every man and every woman is without excuse. In Romans chapter one and verse 20, the apostle Paul says this. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities he, Qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that, I want you to notice this last phrase, so that men are without excuse. Creation has been so designed that in creation itself, we can see God's attributes on display. His eternal power and His divine nature to such a point that God will be able to say that all men from everywhere are without excuse. In 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 5 Peter says this, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They will have to give account excuse me, they will have to give account to him an accounting of your life to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. When it comes to salvation, accepting or rejecting Christ, every person will be without excuse. But let's take a different angle here. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about our own sin, my sin, and your sin. If I sin, I am responsible, responsible to admit to confess, to repent, and if need be, to apologize or make restitution. I can blame all I want, but it is my responsibility to make things right. The more I look for someone to blame, the more I will excuse my sin, and the further I will plunge into my own sin. The more I look for someone to blame, the more I will excuse my own sin. A Christian may say this, Sure, I flirt with some of the women at work, but hey, my wife doesn't love me and appreciate me like she should at home. I'm getting no love and concern at home, so that's why I flirt with the women at work. A Christian may say, sure, I rarely, I rarely pray and I only occasionally read my Bible, but hey, people just don't understand how busy I am. I wonder how many times in churches all over our country, probably in churches all over the world, people have said, I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. A Christian may say, sure, I have a problem with gossip, but hey, people rely on me to keep them informed and they can use the information to pray. You chuckle because you know, don't you? I wonder how many times gossip has been excused as a reason to give a prayer request. I wonder how many times that takes place. I want to share a verse with you that I've shared actually a number of times over the last few months. It's one of my Favorite verses on this particular subject. It is Proverbs 28, 13, and it says this. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. If you try to hide your sins, if you try to blame others, you will not prosper spiritually. You will not. God cannot bless you when you are trying to live a secret life. But whoever confesses, is transparent, who renounces his sins. Oh, God is so merciful and so gracious. Let's take it from another angle, this whole idea of individual responsibility. When there are things that you see that you wish somebody were doing, you just wish somebody were doing that, and why aren't they doing that? If something needs to be done, rather than blaming others, I need to take responsibility. Maybe you think, maybe you're here tonight and you think the government and the politicians are selfish, ignorant, and out of touch. Maybe you're thinking that. Doesn't matter whether it's President Bush or President Obama or President Trump or Congress. You have a real skepticism and distrust of government. Let me ask you. Do you vote? Have you ever volunteered to be involved in a political campaign? Do you fervently pray for our elected officials on a regular basis? Do you fervently pray before you vote, before an election, or is it just much easier to blame the government? Another aspect of this, maybe you think your company Maybe the company that you work for, maybe you think they don't pay you enough, and all that management cares about are themselves. Let me ask you, where you work, where you work, have you ever really tried to make a difference? If they offer employee participation, do you volunteer? Have you ever tried to see management's point of view? Or if you are in management tonight, Have you ever tried to tried to see your employees' point of view? Have you really honestly tried to see someone's point of view other than your own? I will say this. In most churches and in most companies, leaders, managers agonize over their decisions. They are difficult decisions to make. Decisions about pay, decisions about benefits. Oh, the difficult decisions that people make, have to make over, for example, health care benefits and the dramatically rising cost of health care and how do I provide it for my employees. And you may get that notice that says they're going to take more out of your paycheck for your health care plan. remember those are difficult decisions that people have to make and the same is certainly true in a church context even though you may not fully understand why a decision is made understand that they agonize and pray about and think through those decisions in in a good and and healthy church and always be willing to ask I don't understand can you help me to understand rather being rather than being that person who gets together with other people and complains and gripes, really try to be that person who wants to make a difference. Maybe you think there is something in your church that they aren't doing that they should be. Maybe you think your church is unfriendly. Maybe you think the church doesn't do enough for widows or shut-ins and the poor. Maybe you think your church doesn't do enough for evangelism. You know what my recommendation would be to you to me to all of us lead the way lead the way if you don't think let's just use our church maybe there are some of you from other churches here tonight but if you don't think our church is friendly be friendly be the friendliest person in our church and really go out of your way rather than saying the church isn't friendly light the fire Be that person who says, I'm going to take responsibility to be a friendly, welcoming person in this church. If we're not doing enough for the widows and shut-ins, I'm going to be the person that leads the way and really tries to minister to our widows and to our shut-ins and to those who are disadvantaged and poor. You see, criticizing the church has become a national pastime. It just has. It has. It's so easy to participate in. But oh, how thankful I am for those people who say, I'm not going to gripe and complain, I'm going to do it. You know what I really appreciate? There are more people in our congregation who are out doing personal evangelism than we will ever realize. Did you know that? There are. In this congregation, in First Baptist Church in St. John's, I have the privilege, as a, as, as the, especially as the senior pastor, of knowing about people in our congregation who are sharing their faith on a regular basis. They're not waiting for something to happen. They're just doing it. They're just doing it. And you know what they're saying? They are saying, I am responsible. But I want to bring this down to the real heart and soul of this whole subject in this message. One of the missing ingredients in the lives of many Christians is the willingness to come to grips with the fact that I am responsible for my spiritual growth. I am responsible for my spiritual growth. If I'm not growing, I am responsible. If I am to grow and change and make a difference, I must take the initiative and I must pursue that path of growth. Some people say this. I'm not growing because I've never been properly discipled. Some people say I don't witness because I've never been properly trained in evangelism. And I say that not hypothetically tonight. I have had people say that to me. You know, no one's ever discipled me. Obviously, I wouldn't use any name or even intimate a name, but I can remember back in the 90s, we had a family leave our church, and they'll say, you know what? You guys just never discipled us. And yet, they never took any initiative or any responsibility for their own growth while they were here among us. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am fully supportive of discipleship ministries I am fully supportive of of evangelism training. But folks, there comes a point where which you have to say that I am responsible for my own growth. I am. The fact is, there are Christians who are growing dynamically and sharing their faith who have never been through a formal discipleship ministry and have never been through an evangelism training course. There are. There are people who just said, I'm responsible to dig into the Bible. I'm responsible to obey the Bible. I don't have to wait for the right course or the right book to come along. I'm going to obey what I know to be taught clearly in Scripture. And conversely, there are Christians. There are Christians who have gone through some of the best discipleship and evangelism training available in the world today and they're still not growing and they're still not sharing their faith. Again, I am all for discipleship and evangelism, evangelism training. Many years ago my wife Lori and I, um, when we were in the early years of our marriage, went through Evangelism Explosion, if you're, some of you might be familiar with that, an extensive, like, it was like 15 to 20 weeks at the church we were at, training course in evangelism. Every Wednesday night, we would go out and do this cold turkey evangelism using evangelism explosion. It was a wonderful course. I actually went on and to become a trainer in evangelism explosion, but I can tell you folks tonight that some people have gone all through evangelism explosion and they're still not sharing their faith. There has to come that point in all of our lives where we take responsibility for doing it. And there are some people who have never had the advantage of going through one of these courses and they're, they're just out there sharing their love of Christ and how others can come to know him too. And again... You know, there's Evangelism Explosion, Share Jesus Without Fear, Christianity Explored, the Romans Road, all kinds of, four spiritual laws, all kinds of evangelism training uh, courses and books that are available. But ultimately, we have to see that as our individual responsibility. So, the key element, the key element that must accompany any kind of training is this truth I am responsible I am responsible all the training in the world will not change that I believe the church today in the United States will be held even more accountable than Christians in the past or Christians today in other parts of the world we in America as evangelical Christians will be held more responsible than our brothers and sisters around the world today or Christians in the past and here's why. We have more resources available to us right now than at at any other time in human history. The technology, the books, the electronic books, the CDs, the videos, the Christian radio and Christian television that is available today is almost overwhelming. We don't need more resources, and I'm all for resources. We don't need more resources. We need to say that I am responsible for my own growth. I am responsible to be obedient to God. Most of the rest of the world doesn't even have one-tenth, not one-tenth of the resources that we have available to us here in the States. Our third and final point is some some concluding thoughts. I just want to share from my heart some things as I bring this together tonight. One of the greatest mysteries of the Christian life is that some Christians seem so energized and motivated while others seem apathetic and indifferent. In almost any church you can see those that are so energetic and so motivated to grow. To know him as I talked about this morning. And others who just seem to be going through the motions. Apathetic. Indifferent. And here's the mystery. They listen to the same sermons. They read the same books. They go to the same churches, but the results are so different. Two people in a congregation can hear the same sermon, and one of them goes away broken, ready to give themselves more fully to Christ, taking in everything that was said, and the other person goes away yawning, fulfilling another day. At church. I want to say something important here. I am not trying to heap a guilt trip on you. I am not. And if I've come across that way to you tonight, I apologize for that because that is not my intention at all. My intention is this. Our potential for spiritual growth, our potential to be used by God is greater than we think. It is her potential to grow strong in the faith, to grow deeper in the faith, to be used by him for his kingdom work is greater than any of us can really understand. But we must, we must see ourselves as individually responsible. A number of years ago, and if you've been here a while, you may remember this. If, if you haven't, you probably won't. But I did a whole series of sermons on the life of David. Maybe some of you remember that. And so we, I just preached through in the Old Testament the different uh, ages and times in David's life. And one of the stories that really stood out to me was a story in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and it was the story of a woman named Abigail. Maybe you're familiar with it. If you're not, you may want to go home and sometime this week just read through 1 Samuel chapter 25. Abigail was married to a very wicked man and lived with him for many years. His his name was Nabal of Carmel. And the Bible says he was a drunkard. All he cared about was himself and his money and his power. David and his men had watched over Nabal's sheep. And in return, they asked if he would help them out with some food. Excuse me, and provisions. And he says, no way. He says, who is David? I don't care who David is. And refused to help him. So David and his men come to go to war with Nabal and his men. But Nabal has this godly wife named Abigail. Abigail. And Abigail goes and she intercedes with David and says, David, don't do this. You don't need to have this blood on your hands. I'll make sure that you get the provisions you need. And what was amazing, David said that he was amazed. He said, blessed be the God of Israel that you have such discretion. He found her to be a wise, discerning woman And I've just been fascinated by that. She lived a godly life filled with inner beauty even though she was married to an evil, selfish, and arrogant man. She didn't use her husband or her circumstances as an excuse. Somehow, some some way, in her life, she gave herself fully to the God of Israel and developed this amazing inner beauty and godly character that David recognized in her. I believe Abigail is an amazing illustration of a person who said I am responsible for my own spiritual growth. Did you know this? You may be aware of it. Do you know that our whole United States Constitution as it was originally drafted is built upon the biblical principle of individual responsibility? Our whole Constitution is built upon this very principle. One other thought. I want you to think about this. Most great spiritual revivals have begun with a few individuals who took upon themselves the responsibility to cry out to the Lord and to wait upon him. I would challenge you tonight, if you're so inclined, to read about the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and the other revivals that have taken place in cities, on college campuses, over the history of the United States. It is fascinating, and one of the things that has always struck me about these revivals is that they have been started by a very few individuals. I have a book right here. This is a book that I gave to our pastors and elders about a year ago. It is a book that was recommended by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop in their book, The Compelling Community. And it's called The Power of Prayer, The New York Revival of 1858. It's an interesting read. And what's so interesting about the New York Revival of 1858? It was started by one man. Started by one man who decided that he was going to pray for revival and he would meet during the lunch hour and you know how many people came when he first started praying for revival even though he'd put out some flyers and things him him didn't criticize those who weren't coming didn't get discouraged by those who weren't coming he began to pray and then a few others joined him then a few more joined him and a great revival broke out in New York City Because one man, because one man said, I am responsible. I'm not just going to talk about revival. I'm going to do something about it as an individual. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, it says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Oh, folks, I want all of us to be so intrigued by what God could do with us if I am willing to say, I am responsible. We're going to close in a few minutes with that great hymn, Immortal, Invisible. And the reason I I chose this hymn for them to sing is because it talks about the majesty of God and the greatness of God and how he rules over all things. I just want all of us to be gripped with the thought that he's going to hold us accountable. Not someone else. Not someone else. He is going to hold you and me accountable. Individually responsible for the way we have lived our lives on this earth. Let's pray together. Father, oh, help us to be in awe of you and to know that each of us will give an account of himself before the throne of God and help us to take upon ourselves the responsibility to do what we know is right, not to wait for someone else or blame someone else, but to be willing to say, I am responsible. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.